I'm going to be dealing with just kind of continuing on, trying to add on to just a few things that Mike hasn't covered yet because he was holding back on generational stuff because he knew this session was coming up. But some of the things I would have said in this session, Mike has explained so beautifully and so wonderfully that I won't bother trying to repeat that because I won't do as half a good a job <laughs> as what Mike has done. But this morning when he talked about the issue of the cross and what's being done at the cross and how we then come to the cross and, and because the, the provision has already been made through everything that Jesus has done and achieved through the cross, then we come and we, we come to that place and to that exchange and we can exchange what's going on in li- our lives with what he's provided for release for us. That was a beautiful explanation of what it means to, to, to be living in such a way where we're experiencing the negative effect on something, of something, but then you start to recognize it and then with a bit of help, you can go to the cross and exchange it there. It's very, very powerful. It's just a wonderful way of expressing and explaining that. I, I was uh, very moved by some of the things Mike had to share this morning, especially in terms of the relation to the cross. So dealing with generational bondage, and I think it was uh, uh, Josh uh, Van Berkel yesterday who asked that very valid question. I'm not sure if Josh was able to make it today. A very valid question because of different doctrinal perspectives in the body of Christ, and there's there's always doctrinal perspectives differences uh, about you know some say that uh, that you don't have to have to worry about generational stuff for the believer because all of that is dealt with once you're converted, or some will say once you were baptized, all that stuff done with dealt with. You never have to to go back there. We're new creations. Old things are passed away. Old things become new, which is true but it's, it's the realm in which we understand that and the application of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection that we bring into our lives on our journey. And so as he said, uh, these things uh, have been made available or provided or, or, or released for us. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Uh, and so it is safe and incorruptible for us to access because it's in the, in the heavenly realm, it's in the spirit realm, it's, in, it's in, the, in, the, in the kingdom of God realm. It is not able to be distorted, polluted, or destroyed by the demonic realm because we as saints of God have access to what is incorruptible, done and achieved and finished for us. Do you get that? And so, but the thing is we have access to it. So just like we have access to forgiveness, when we come to the place of acknowledging our need for a saviour and need to be forgiven, we acknowledge that, we put our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, we confess our sin, we receive his forgiveness, we come into a place where our conscience is cleansed and we are, we are forgiven and we have a clean conscience. That is not automatic. It is, it is done because we've accessed the provision that Jesus has purchased for us through the shedding of his blood and all of the work of the cross and the ascension and the resurrection and ascension. So, so it is with dealing with some things that are generational. I always love it. <laughs> I always love it. When somebody gets convert, con- comes to Christ, has a wonderful encounter or they have an encounter in the process of the conversion and God just shifts a whole heap of stuff off their life. Man, I just wish that happened every time. I wish that it happened for me in totality. I knew when I got converted and saved in a healing meeting in Majestic House back in 79, some things just shifted off my life. Because when I got off the floor, 
after having received Christ, the guy prayed for me. I, I went down on the floor, never seen that sort of thing before. Didn't think it would happen to me. But there I found myself there. Uh, when I got up, I felt so much lighter and stuff had just lifted off. But then there's been other times in my life where people have identified, one was Bill Sabrisky, uh, came into our home, uh, invited by Brent Douglas to administer a bunch of uh, ministers. And uh, he, was, he was just going to minister for the day to, to a group of pastors. And when he came to minister to me, he said some nice things, which is really nice, encouraging. But then he said, I, I, where's around the age of eight or nine or 10, he said, I discern a spirit of self-hatred got into your life around the age of nine or 10. And, uh, and so I thought, I hadn't seen that, but Bill, if you've seen it, I respect you, go for it. He ministered to me, felt a bit of a shift, and then for, about, for, for that next month, we could, we could see and feel, I could feel the change, and I could see the change that had gone, and God showed me how the self-hatred had actually gotten into a range of areas of my life. So, so what I'm saying is this, that thing happened to me before I was saved, and it was a, it was a number of years later that for whatever reason, a man discerned it in the Holy Ghost and delivered me of it in Jesus' name. I wasn't delivered of it when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I wasn't delivered of it when I first got born again. I wasn't delivered of it when I actually got baptized in water. I was delivered of it uh, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, uh, having been a pastor for about eight or nine years. So what I'm saying is this, I'd love everything to be done. Uh, I would love everything to be done at conversion. If not conversion, baptism. And if not baptism, when you can fill the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? But the bottom line is, as Mike's been explaining so beautifully, we're, we've embarked on a journey. Now, are you a son of God from the moment you receive, genuinely receive Christ and come unto Him? Yes, you are. And from that moment on, He's dealing with you or working with you as a son or a daughter. You don't go in and out of being saved. You hear what I'm saying? Some people have got that theology. It's an unfortunate theology because it creates so much insecurity in people's lives. No, we're saved, but we're on this wonderful journey of transformation. Amen? So, so the generational issue has been a debated issue, and in some places it's hotly debated. Uh, and I've been in situations where the debate is there, and I know that it's not, nothing I can say is actually going to shift the view. And so one time I was in a situation with a group of ministers where I told a story, a family story, of one of our children who was dramatically set free from a generational, a generational spirit. And, 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 and it was a generational curse. And, and it's a fantastic story. And they, could see, they, could hear, they heard the results. And, but one of them said to me, I hear the story. I'm celebrating your daughter's healing, but I cannot fit it into my theology. And, and that's a reality. We, have th we build theologies, understandings, but sometimes, sometimes we've come to conclusions that aren't broad enough to handle all the things that God can do in a person's life. And so what I would say is this, if you have a theology that excludes that, excludes that, maybe like a generational issue, just give it some time to think about some of the testimonies and stories and just see whether the theology is really accurate. Do I believe old things are passed away and everything's become new? Absolutely. But what is that talking about? It's talking about the identity. It's talking about the covenant you're in. It's talking about the fact you're no longer in the first Adam, you're now in Christ, the second or the last Adam.
you're a whole new species of being. But some things still exist in the realm of the soul. Attitudes. How many people can say that when they, when they got born again, all of their attitudes were totally lined up with heaven? How many people can say that? Uh, there's not one. Because from then on, you're on a transformation growth path, right? So some of these things that, that are connected into the wounds and the issues of the soul. Your spirit, when you're born again, is reconnected with the Father, rejuven rejuvenated, regenerated. And your spirit is perfect. You're one spirit with Him. All this other stuff exists in the realm of the soul or in the spirit realm that's still around us because of various reasons. Okay? So that's my understanding of it. And it kind of fits for me because the experiences I've had, it, it kind of works for me. So, okay, so there we are. So, as Mike uh, pointed out this morning, if you read Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses are just wonderful. The promises for Israel, for those who would keep the commandments and so on, and, and the righteousness was based on the keeping of the commandments and so on and so forth. And if you kept the commandments and kept the word of the Lord, then these blessings would come upon you. Then you get to about verse 15, 16, and it really gets tough. And it's really hard reading from then on. And uh, you're reading the cursings, the things that would happen because of a nation violating and walking away from the covenant of God and violating the commands of God, opening themselves up to demonic oppression and demonic activity. It's just really tough reading. When I first started to read those as a young believer, I used to get a bit frightened until I realized, until I realized that Jesus has fulfilled for me the keeping of the true spirit of the law. He kept all the commandments. He walked with God and kept the spirit of the word perfectly. He went to the cross without sin. But then he was made to be sin for me. He was made to be sin for you. So that great exchange happens at the cross. And so I realized that I actually, in Christ, because Christ fulfilled this perfectly for me, and as a result of that, his reputation in heaven, his righteousness has been given to me as a gift, and it's now my righteousness as well. And I have the same reputation of, in heaven as Jesus does because I'm in Christ. Then actually, these blessings are mine. And Jesus went to the cross to break the power of those cursings. <laughs> and now I can claim and live in and and expect to live in blessing. But then I also find that there's remnants in my life from whatever has been that I either haven't taken responsibility for or judgments that are still in place in my life that as a result of that, there's still infestation or interference in my life because those judgments are still in place. Judgments about myself, about God, about people, about whoever, whatever. Until I take responsibility for those and deal with them and shut the door on those demonic oppressive things, then those things have still been having, had, had still had access to my life in some way. And I've had a, I can go through a list of those things. So what is it about generational stuff though? Well, where do we get this idea that um, generational things seem to somehow be able to sometimes affect people to the third and fourth generation. We get that out of Deuteronomy chapter, we'll read it. We get it out of uh, Exodus rather, chapter 34, verse 5, 
where God appears to Moses uh, and there's this incredible self-disclosure. There's nobody else can tell Moses about who God is because nobody else actually on earth knows who God is and what he's like. There's nobody can tell Moses what he's like. Only God can tell Moses what he's like. He's making this incredible self-disclosure. When it, when it dawned on me, this was actually God speaking to Moses and disclosing to Moses who he is or the level of revelation that he wanted Moses to have. It, it, it just, it just kind of hit me and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I'm actually reading the words that God has spoken, disclosing himself. And it hit me. These are incredible words. Verse five, it says this, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there, stood, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, proclaimed his nature, proclaimed who he is. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means cleansing the guilty, <laughs> clearing, sorry, the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when, here's the deal though. When you come into Christ, when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you receive him as your Lord, you're not standing as the guilty. Because when you read this, you think some people will automatically identify with, well, I'm one of the guilty. And man, I'm in big trouble. No, when you come into Christ, you're no longer standing in the place of the guilty. Can somebody respond to me? Like, like you're actually hearing? You're, actually, you're no longer in standing in the place and the position of the guilty. You're standing in the place and the, and the position and in the experience of the forgiven, of the redeemed, of the born again, of, the, of being a son and a daughter in God. So you're not, you're not standing in the position of a gospel rejecting, God rejecting sinner in that sense. You are standing in the place of having received the provision of the cross to forgive you of your sins and iniquity and so on and so forth. And you're not standing in the place of the guilty. Can I just say that? Just to reassure you. But if you reject the cross, if you reject Jesus, if you reject the gospel, if you reject his mercy, then we still stand in the place of the guilty. That's what John 3, 16, 17, 18 talks about. And so, but when God, when, when, the, when, the, when we come into the place of the forgiven, of the redeemed, of the, then, then the provision of God comes into our lives. And as Mike said, we can be the one where the cursing in our generation stops and the blessing in our generation begins. That's why if you're the first person in your family line to come to Christ, you are a hero in your generations. Because with you, 
a whole lot of stuff that could have affected your generations if you hadn't come to Christ could still be active and working in their generations. But you have come to Christ. You have been chosen. You've been called. You've responded. And now you stand in the place where cursing can stop with you and blessing can begin with you and you become a hero in your generations. Your generations in the future will look back at you and say, I am so glad my grandfather, my grandmother, my great-grandfather came to Christ. I am so, I'm so glad that they came to Christ because I stand in blessing because of where he stood or she stood. And a lot of us are here today because our grandfathers, grandmothers, or whatever, however many generations back, stood in a place, received Christ, and unleashed blessing for the generations to come. My sis, three sisters here, and we all, stand, we all stand in the blessing of God because of our mother and our grandmother and our grandfathers. And now there's a fresh wave of ripple effect of the gospel going through the next generation. Why? Because somebody stood for Christ. Somebody received Christ and cursing stopped and blessing began. I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad about that. What about the stuff that somehow still seems to be active? Well, we're going to explain that a bit. There are some curses recorded in Scripture. Uh, there's the curse uh, that, uh, on Jericho in jo uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. Uh, when Jericho was to be destroyed, God said, uh, told Joshua to pronounce a curse that whoever rebuilds the city, it will be at the expense of his, uh, he will lay the foundation with his firstborn. And with his gates, with, with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. In other words, whoever is going to try and rebuild the city, it's going to cost him some of his children. That's a terrible thing. But that was how it was because Jericho stood for what it stood for. Generations later, or sometime later, and Joshua stood and pronounced that curse instructed by God. In other words, it was a warning. Nobody is to rebuild this city that I've destroyed. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, somebody starts to rebuild the city. And it was the cost of the life of his oldest, and it was the cost of his life of his youngest. All of those years later, that curse was fulfilled. Wow. Curses are very real. Curses are very real. Then we have... Jesus speaking to the fig tree. And all he said was this. May you never bear fruit again. May you never bear fruit again. And it was a big lesson. This was a big object lesson for the disciples. And it says from the, from the roots up it withered and died. So that's, that, that, that's, that's the power of the words that Jesus spoke, which you shall never be, bear fruit again. The whole point of that tree's existence was to bear fruit. And because it wasn't going to be able to bear fruit again, because Jesus said, You'll never, may you never bear fruit again, there was no point in it existing, no point in it living. It just withered up. Wow. This is why you see we're very conscious of the power of our words with people, especially when you're an authority 
with people. You're a parent. You're a teacher. You're a pastor. You're a leader. You're an elder. Whatever the situation, somebody is looking to you, for example, and for 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 what for leadership. Your words are very powerful, and so we're wise. And uh, in, in James, is it where it says, um, "Howbeit you you." Out of your mouth comes blessing, and out of the same that you bless God, and then out of the same lips or same mouth you 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 curse uh, somebody or a man that's created in the image of God. Brethren, this should not be. Should there should not be blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? That's a New Testament statement. So that's why we're wise and careful with our words. We don't call our children, but you just little brat. We don't say to our children, "You're hopeless." We don't say to our kids, you're just good for nothing. I wish you're never born. You ruined my life. We never, ever do that. Why? Because it's a curse. And because you're an authority figure in that person's life and that little child is, or child is open to you, those words go right into his heart, right into his spirit, and they bring a bondage, they bring a distortion, they traumatize the child, and then before you know it, you've got demonic activity messing with them. And it's because somebody spoke that kind of thing into their life. I want to tell you, tell you, my friends, if you do that with your kids, stop it and repent. You're cursing them. Don't do it. In Jesus' name, with love. <laughs> then we've got the curse that Paul pronounces. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. And this is a curse, this is a curse that Paul pronounces as an apostle. He says, if anybody, and he's and he's having to deal now with the Gentiles, with the sorry, the Galatians who have come to Christ, he's labored with them, he's taught them the word, he's preached the gospel to them, and Christ has been formed in them. But then some Judaizers, some people who said, no, you've got to obey the law of Moses, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to honor the feast days, the new moons, the, all this sort of stuff came in and, and led them astray. And say, Paul said, bewitched you, cut in on you, and instead of trusting in Jesus, trusting in the gospel of the kingdom, they're now getting subverted back to where now they're now living under bondage again. And so Paul is pretty upset because these guys have come in to, to basically destroy the work of God. And so he, he says to them, if anybody comes in and preaches to you a gospel that you did not receive from me, let him be accursed. And if even if an angel comes in and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. He says it twice, maybe three times. Think twice. So here's a curse pronounced by an apostle. And I want to tell you this, that when people deviate from the gospel that was delivered to us by Jesus, affirmed by the prophets and upheld and, and, and preached by the apostles, when we deviate from that message, death starts to eventuate. Things start to die. Life starts to dissipate. Uh, there's no life. There's no power. There's no strength. There's no conviction. And you end up with this, this lukewarm, not even lukewarm. It's, it's even less than lukewarm, but not cold because if it was cold, it would be refreshing. You end up with this lukewarm thing with no guts, no strength, no conviction. And it's just such a politically correct bunch of nonsense. 
and it doesn't have the power to get people saved, healed, and delivered because it's not the true gospel. So there we have a few different examples of curses that were pronounced. So the source of curses is varied. There's the whole curse of the law, but then there's other other sources of curses. Paul pronounces one. That was a New Covenant, New Testament situation. And then we have situations in our lives where generations before us, usually men, fathers, have joined some secret society like the Lodge or the Orange Lodge or the Buffalo Lodge or whatever. They've, they've gone into a secret society and to, to, to be initiated and then go up the levels, they, they make statements and agreements and, and, pronounce and, and agree, come into agreement with curses that will be activated that will affect their family line should they violate the conditions of the secret society. And in New Zealand... Uh, we, ha- we have a lot of damage through the curses that have been unleashed because of the Masonic Lodge and other lodges. And we've got people who deal specifically taking people through, dealing with this has been generational. And I recommend if, you've, if, you've, if your generations have been involved in the Masonic Lodge, that you actually go through a thorough process on it. And the reason I've seen it so powerful is because fathers set it up. Whenever fathers set something up, it seems to have a lot of power in the spirit. You get me? Okay. So there's different reasons for curses being in place. So generational bondage, generational stuff that comes down through generations. What I do is I live, I live conscious of the blessing. I live believing that I'm blessed, knowing that I'm blessed. I, I live knowing that Christ's blood has set me free Uh, from the repercussions and the power of the sin that tried to dominate me. I'm a new creation. I've been given an inheritance. But if I see a pattern, if I see a pattern emerging that I also have observed in my fathers or my mothers, I'll take notice of that. For instance, for years I had this thing happen to me where just out of the blue, this dark thing, this, this dark mood, just really horrible dark mood would just come upon me and I could I could I could virtually I could feel it come over me and sometimes Janet would say what just happened to you and this dark depressive mood would just would just come over me and I, I would I, I felt like I couldn't get out of it and I, it was I was I was just upset and I was irritable and 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 all shut down and moody and it was just a horrible thing and 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 the last time it happened uh, I was in Hamner Springs and we were having quite a nice time. We were there. It might have been in the first caravan we had. And, and I, something happened that just upset me. And I literally felt this thing come over me. This, and and, and it just, I just went into this horrible, shut-down, moody place. And I, I, I suddenly started to struggle. I started to struggle. Janet could feel it. It just, it just messes with our, with our nice time. And it's, it's just a horrible thing. And so I was, I was walking the main street of Hamner and, and I'm thinking, God, what is this? I, I, just, I just don't want this. What is, what is the root of this thing? There's got to be a root to this thing. And then immediately came to mind the fact that a, a few generations back, one of the grandfathers ended his life. And on my father's side, ended his life. 
18, late 1800, ended his life. Uh, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, that, that thought came to me. Just after I'd asked the Holy Spirit, what's the root of this? So I thought, oh, maybe this is something that got into the generation then because of what he did. And it's now tracked down through and it's still trying to affect me. So I'm, I'm going to ring Sally and Wayne. So I rang Sally and Wayne and uh, said, look, this is, this is what's been going on. This is what I've identified. Could we make up a time where I just come and you, and you pray for me? I'm going to take responsibility for, my, for what my grandfather did, and, and I want you to pray for me. Remember that? You came? And uh, so I, I, I met with them, told them what happened, told them what I thought, uh, and then, then, I, then I prayed for some stuff, taking responsibility for it and renouncing it and so on and so forth. They prayed for me, broke the power of it off me, and I can't say that I've had another time where it's affected me to that level. I can get in a bad mood. But it's not the same. Not the same, is it? Can you just agree with me? <laughs> it's just not the same. And it doesn't feel the same to me. It's not this, the same level of oppression. And so that, that, but you see, that was a generational thing. That was a generational thing. Why did that get through my conversion? Why did that get through my baptism? Why did that get through uh, when I was baptized in the Holy Ghost? Why did that get through times when I've been touched by the power of God and, and I've been on the floor or crying in a snot and whatever, you know, just, and, and, and felt other stuff leave me? Why did that get through? I don't know, but all I know is this. There came a time when I identified a problem I asked the Holy Spirit what the root was. He showed me, and then I took responsibility for myself to go and get some ministry and help and just process it with them, and a level of freedom came. This is exactly what Mike's been talking about. Now, Janet's going to come and share a story from just, just from, for her, because this is a generational thing for Janet. You want to come and share about you? And, and share the, the longer version. Don't you like the longer version. You ready for the longer version? Not too, not too long. <laughs> All right. Okay, so um, and I know some of you know my story, but so forgive me that you'll hear it again, but there's some real key things to learn from what happened. So uh, I was raised in Horsville in this area, and we had a market garden up the road just a little bit. My father was an incredibly shy, timid man, and we had a long shingle driveway that went to our house. Now, whenever we had visitors, now I'm talking about whenever, as in every time, we had visitors. We would hear them coming because of the long shingle drive. You'd hear their footsteps on in the driveway. And there was a very convenient shed at the end of the driveway. And my father would take my, me and him into the shed. And it was a wooden shed with knot holes. We would be in there and we would steer through the knot holes at the visitors come up the drive. We'd let them get to the door, knock on the door. My mother would invite them in and we would not turn up until after the visitors had left. And that was normal for me. And um, all through my childhood, I had people loving on me saying, oh, you're so much like your dad. You're so much like your daddy. Even as a little girl, you know, you're, you're, you're quiet like your daddy. And I liked being like my daddy. That was always spoken over me like a wonderful thing. And we were, I came to the Lord 
I received many prophecies about preaching before people. And every time it filled me with sheer terror. Initially, I'd get angry with the prophetic words. Uh, then I, as I grew in my faith, and my relationship with the Lord, I realized that, okay, I would do it just like, um, I can't think of the lady's name. Joyce Meyer said, you'd do it afraid. And so I'd get up and I would preach or I'd minister or whatever with sheer terror. But I'd do it because I love Jesus. But while I'd, I'd come to, I would like, so prior to ministering, I would be terrified. As I'd get up to minister, I often could hardly hear what I was saying because my heart would be beating so hard in my head that I'd be hearing this, and I'm trying to almost shout above the sound of my beating heart. Then, And I'd be drenched with perspiration with the sheer effort of pushing through terror and fear and timidity. And then afterwards, I would be wiped out for maybe two or three days. Am I exaggerating? So I spoke to different ministers and I said, you know, is this normal? Maybe I didn't explain just the level of it, but I kept getting, oh, no, no, it's really normal to be really tense beforehand and da-da-da, but, you know. And I saw people set free and God move and everything else, but it was like this every single time. We were in Zimbabwe and uh, Wes was out in the garden praying and I was inside preparing because I was going to need to lead a, a prayer meeting and preach before it around about how many people? Six to eight hundred people. And, um, and anyway, you know, that Wes came in and he said, oh, God's spoken to me that you need to be set free from a generational. How, how, could you remember the exact words? Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go in and break the generational spirit of timidity off Janet that came down through her father. And I'm thinking, why haven't I seen that before? And, but that's what he said to me. That's, that's what he said to me. Okay. So Wes comes and tells me this. And my initial reaction is, I feel just a little bit annoyed. <laughs> and I think, but it's always been a good thing to be like my dad. How ridiculous is this? But logic sometimes doesn't line up with, with your emotions, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking, I really like being like my daddy. And here's my husband telling me, you know, you're gonna, we're going to break this off. And I'm thinking, I just did not, I could not join the dots. And I said, okay, because, you know, I'm a good submissive wife. And I think, just, 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 get, just get him off my back. We've got this meeting to go to. Okay, pray, you know, a little bit of attitude and a big measure. And anyway... <laughs> I said, okay, okay, pray for me then. So he prays. I didn't feel anything. That's fine because I didn't believe it was there anyway. <laughs> and off we go to this meeting. Now, you, remember what I just told you? As a before meeting, normally I'm breaking out in sweat, heart pounding, all the rest of it. I'm about to stand up in front of all these people while we're driving in the car and I'm not feeling any of that stuff. Nothing's happening to my body. And so I said to us, okay, so... Maybe not everybody will get this, but because of the strength of my prophetic gifting, often I know what's going to happen before a thing happens. And so I am feeling completely calm in the car. So I think in my head, ha, huh, that's fine. I'm not going to get to preach tonight. Probably something will happen in the worship. There'll be a move of the Holy Ghost, and I won't have to get to preach because I'm feeling completely calm. So I, I say to Wes, ha, huh, not going to have to. I literally say this. Didn't I say this to you? I said, 
yeah, yeah, I'm not going to get to preach tonight because I'm feeling perfectly normal, da-da-da, so it's, it's great, I'm cool. And he kind of goes, uh-huh. And I still didn't join the dots. I still didn't, you know. So I'm sitting there in the front row completely relaxed because I don't feel any of the jitters, so therefore I'm not going to preach or minister. And then Bishop Colin Yardi gets up and goes, Mama Janet, would you come up? And, t-? and I go, what's happened to my prophetic gift? I completely missed it, you know. And, and, I, and I get up there and I preach with complete freedom and liberty. And have been ever since. But I didn't manifest. I didn't even agree with it. I was slightly annoyed with the minister. (laughs) But the power of the Holy Ghost set me free. So, you know, once you start having a few of these experiences uh, and you see the results and the ongoing results, then it kind of, to a degree, it shapes how, you try, how you're trying to make sense out of various statements and various things that are in the Word. Because, I mean, I don't believe it was the devil that told me, go and break, the, break that spirit off Janet. Uh, because he would have preferred it remained. Okay? So, and, and over time, you get to know when it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and when it's not. So I recognize, because just the way that the voice came to me, I I knew this was the Holy Spirit. And so Janet wasn't that happy with the idea. She she kind of went, well, when I said, well, can I still pray for you? She said, if you like. (laughs) And, uh, but I tell you what, she has been different ever since. And every time she's ministered this in situations, there's been other people set free as well. So because, because, so that got, that somehow got through her conversion through her baptism, through her, her uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. I was there when she was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Hallsville Hall and in, in a meeting led by John Steele. In the worship, suddenly strange language started coming out of her mouth and she had no idea what was happening. She said, this, that funny language, is, is it the devil? I said, no, you've probably been filled with the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, she had been. And so, you know, this stuff snuck through. So, so what I'm saying is this, that if we, if we have the idea that none of this can get through because it all gets finished when you get converted or whatever, then sometimes people unwittingly have been living with stuff they don't have to live with. And it's affecting their soul. It's putting pressure on their soul. Not in their spirit. Not in their spirit. But it's just oppressing their soul. Oppressing their mind, oppressing, causing them to feel anxious and nervous, and 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 it's it's just an adversary kind of thing going on to to try and stop us from reaching our potential, and being as fruitful for the kingdom, and just being free that we can be. Okay, so there's there, there's just another example. So I want to share this one. I have uh, generally I have Kimberly's permission to this because we've shared this a number of times. Uh, that where this this was a very very powerful experience for for our family. Uh, very, very significant experience for our family. So Kimberly, our, our, our second oldest daughter, who's um, worship director, uh, she, she was pregnant with her fourth child, and uh, Bella. And about seven months, roughly, eight months maybe, into the pregnancy, suddenly one day she started having seizures, really bad seizures. She'd collapse in the shower, she'd collapse at the kitchen, she'd, of course she couldn't drive, nothing, nothing. So 
they went to the doctors, the doctors didn't know what it was, or certain tests they didn't want to do because she was pregnant and so on and so forth, but she just kept having these seizures. And there was a number of them per day, wasn't there? It was very distressing. We had to pull her out of all responsibility, all ministry, everything. Even if she came into a meeting, as soon as the level started to increase, the amplification started to increase, she'd just go into a seizure and somebody would have her in the, in the room there or there. Most time the church didn't know about it and she'd be, she'd be taken home. We prayed into this and prayed into that, but we didn't have a clear line on what this was. So we go through to the, pre, to the, delivery, to, to the delivery. The medical team decide that a cesarean is too risky because the... the, the medical process might send her into a seizure. They felt they have a full team on, ready to go and, and have her have a natural birth. Well, as soon as the baby started to, the baby started to crown, which ladies, you'll know what that's about, uh, Kimberly went into a major seizure. Janet was there in the room. People pressed the button. All the team were there, uh, medical specialists, etc. They were fighting to keep Kimberly alive and get the baby out alive. It was too late for a cesarean. It was an incredibly intense situation. And uh, it's, it's gratitude that's moving me. <laughs> and so in that, she uh, how long was she in seizure for? About 25 minutes and then unconscious for another half hour. It was very serious. And in that time, she lost part of her memory. She couldn't remember a reading day. A number of things she just could not remember. She lost part of her hearing, especially on this side. Uh, her brain was in a consistent fog from then on. She tended to speak more slowly about that speed. Uh, and her pupils were dilated. One was dilated diff different to the other. And that, she, was, she was like that for the next five or so months. And there were still seizures going on. There was still uncertainty of what was happening, uh, what had actually caused it. There was no, we had no history that we knew of of epilepsy in the family, nothing that we knew of. But an auntie of ours, uh, Janet's uh, at ours, uh, one of these wonderful ladies who does a lot of research on the family tree. And she had some inf uh, requests out with different agencies, you know, just, just requesting information about different relatives and so on. And she knew about Kimberly's situation. One day, a, a paper arrived in the mail from one of these agencies, and it contained the death notice of the great-great-great-grandmother, Kimberly's great-great-great-grandmother. And, and the death notice said she died of seizures uh, as a young woman leaving four children. And we get this death notice, and we go, oh, my goodness. We smell a hairy rodent. We smell a rat. And because we had some sort of a framework theological framework, an experiential framework of generational things. We think, oh my goodness, this is a generational issue. Kimberly is the fourth generation. And this is her fourth child. And she's our worship director. <laughs> and so we'll, and then it was just a matter of when is the appropriate time to minister. So they were living at our place. They were, their house was being fixed with earthquake repair, as we did back then. <laughs> and uh, so they were living with us Janet had an encounter down in the bedroom with the Holy Ghost Holy Ghost had come on after reading a particular book something already happened and sparked and she went up to Kimberly after about, oh, about an hour and as soon as Janet walked into the room Kimberly said my goodness mum what's happened and Kim, Janet starts to tell about what's happened what she's just seen in the spirit Kimberly starts to glorify God she's got Bella across the shoulder like this, she lifts her hand, she starts to glorify God. Immediately her throat starts to get, and she goes into a seizure and slides down the fridge. And it was all on. 
And Janet sent Danielle down to me, Dad, Dad, Kimberly, come up. And so we got Kimberly down to our bedroom and we said, right, now, now's the moment. And so I said, Kimberly, this is what we've just found out from the auntie. There's a generational spirit of seizure. That, uh, and as soon as I said generational spirit of seizure, the whole thing, the thing just erupted and just began to scream and yell and said things like, I'm here to kill her. I'm here to kill her. But we said, we'd cross the point of no return. You, there's no return on this sort of thing. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, being intimidated by this sort of thing. When you're there and it's your daughter, and, she, and she's, and, and this has been happening. You, you, you're like, as, as uh, Mike said, you're like a dog with a bone. You're like, you're, 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 you're a parent, a horrible dog's come over the back fence to threaten your child and to tear your child apart. You're not going to go out all passive and try and appease the thing. You're going to go at the biggest stick you can find and you're going you're to beat that thing to death if you have to and run it off your property. You hear what I'm saying? There's no passivity with this stuff. So we knew that we had resources of heaven backing us. So Janet and I just got stuck in. You generational spirit of seizure, come out of her in Jesus' name. Within a couple of minutes, suddenly there was a final scream and she was completely at peace. And she sat up. And she sat up and she said, Mum, all the fogginess is gone. Am I talking normally? She was talking fast again. And Janet looked in her eye. Both eyes were exactly the same. And then she said, oh, oh, I can hear properly. Oh, oh, I can remember my wedding day. She was completely set free and completely healed. And she's never had another one since. So this is why I said just that yesterday when I had a discussion with somebody who was not from this nation actually, but they were another minister of the God, no minister, quite a prominent one. We're having this discussion about generational issues and that's why I said to the person, if I believe what you believe, my daughter might be dead. That was the context of that statement. Because when you, when you have this kind of experience, it, it shakes you. It, it shapes you and it shakes you. It, it's such a profound experience to your, to your life and it's your daughter. And then, of course, the doctor said to her before she gave birth to Bella, you can't have any more children because this could get worse. She really took notice of that one. <laughs> She's now pregnant with a seventh child. And the next child was called Wesley, <laughs> which is an incredible honor. So sometimes when, if Kimberly's worship leading or something, sometimes I'll just, I'll just start to weep because I'm, I'm, I'm just so full of gratitude to the kindness of God. I don't know how this thing worked. I don't know how the, why this thing manifested. All I know, I've got hints in Scripture that somehow the third and fourth generation, maybe the thing thought there was time was up and it had to do something this generation so it could reestablish itself for the next four. I don't know. Don't make a doctrine of that. I just, I'm just wondering. All I know is this. The circumstance was set up was the fourth generation having a fourth child. I don't know how that thing got into the generation. I don't know how. All I know is the great-great-grandmother died of the same thing. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I just watch her and I hear and I listen to her and I just get filled with gratitude of the goodness and the kindness of God that Jesus would go to a cross, 
suffer everything he suffered to give us authority to deal with these things who try and afflict our children and try and afflict our generations. Jesus has not left us in this world resourceless. He's given us the resources of heaven, but it's our job to take those things, have revelation, and then apply them in the situations. If we hadn't have known anything of that and Kimberly had have died, then no doubt other doctrinal ideas would have been hatched up. Oh, it was the sovereignty of God. Oh, it was the will of God. Perhaps this, perhaps that, when all along it could have been, if that scenario had played out, it's because either we didn't know our resources or we didn't apply them. God gets the blame for a lot of stuff because human beings on earth have been inactive with the resources of heaven. Whoa. And people put it down to the sovereignty of God to the will of God, when in actual fact it was as well for her to be completely set free. And that's exactly what happened. And if I'm sounding a bit of aggressive on this, you bet I'm aggressive. Because there's people's lives at stake. There's destinies at stake. There are people's fruitfulness at stake. There's the health of those little children at stake. And yes, I am... Because when you get into a battle like that, and in Jesus' name you win, I want to tell you it does something for you. It seals something in your spirit that you're never going to go back on. I'll settle down or carry on. Don't get, don't get all religious on me. <laughs> Don't try and confine me to some limiting doctrine. I'll kick my way out of that box and you can have it for kindling. (laughs) Hallelujah. So I'm on a journey where I want to discover more. I want to know more. I want to understand more. I want to discover more. I want to be more effective because there's other parents' children. There's other situations that we want to see Jesus glorified in. Amen. And this is why we're doing the school to try and equip as many people as possible to at least lift the level of effectiveness in our lives to bring glory to Jesus and the extension of His dominion. Amen. Amen. So, hallelujah. So, what do we see? Sometimes we see patterns recurring. We had no idea of the great-great-grandmother's situation. No idea whatsoever. But man, did the light go on when that came. And then that wonderful auntie heard the story of Kimberly's deliverance. And so the ripple effects go through the family. (sighs) I was with David Hogan in Auckland. We went up there. We've had David here a number of times, and we've had the privilege of being on a couple of trips with him. And and, uh, we hadn't seen each other for a year or so, and we got together, and I had this story. (laughs) Because he's got a few stories of his and his family. of He was raised from the dead himself, you know. And uh, they had a a a child that died, an adopted child that died, and they raised... Got the child back from the dead after about an hour, roughly an hour. And so I was 
met up with David at the, in the break, and I said, David, I've got a couple of stories. I started telling them a story, and, and he's crying, and I'm crying, <laughs> because the sense of the, the wonder of the goodness of God. You see, God hasn't left us to the devil. He hasn't left us to the kingdom of darkness, and he hasn't left us to ourselves. He's given us hope and resources and power. So we better, we've got to wind this up, and I have no idea what the time is. Quarter past two, we're going to have a bit of ministry. Because some of you will be observing patterns. Suddenly, the light will have just gone on in your generations. You see a pattern going on in your life or in your family that you realize, actually, if I look back, I can see the same pattern has been happening. It may have been adultery. It may have been, it may have been some situation that just keeps repeating. Some say it's a familiar spirit that goes through and it's not to do with a curse. I don't know. All I know is this, there was wanting to take my daughter out. And so in most cases, what I would do when I'm ministering to somebody and they've recognized a generational pattern and they are struggling with something themselves that they can see that they're parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents really struggled with and there was disaster as a result and they're struggling with the same thing or strong temptation toward it, then what I do, this is what I do, and I'm so blessed with Mike's teaching because a number of the things he said he does is things we've discovered to do and, and we, we just learn more from him and more from him. It's just wonderful. And so it's to recognize the fact that there's a problem <laughs> and then be the one Kimberly's situation is a bit different because it was a direct confrontation. But in some situations, you're actually, what you're doing is you're taking, you're standing up and you are the one in your generations that are taking responsibility for this. Daniel did it. The, the great leader, the great man of God in, in in Babylon and that, that whole period, he did it when he saw that the time of the prophecies that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years, when that was coming to close, he, he looked at the prophecies, studying the word, and he said, right now it's the time to pray and fast. So he began to pray and fast, and one of the things he did, did is he took responsibility for the sins of his nation and the sins of his fathers and his own sin. And he stood and he took responsibility for it, and he brought it to the Lord and he asked God for mercy and forgiveness, taking responsibility for the sin, identification of repentance, some of us call that. And he took responsibility for it and he brought it before the Lord. And then, of course, with Daniel, we saw amazing things happen and so on and so forth. And so what I generally get people to do is to rec they've recognized the problem. They've recognized that there's something going on that's progressed through the generations. And so now it's time for them to stand up, take responsibility for it, take it to the cross, as Mike would say, or bring, uh, why would, I used to say just, we're going to bring this under the power of the blood. Take responsibility for it, confess it to the Lord. Me and my fathers, we've struggled with this. This is the sin. We, I confess it to you, Lord. I, I ask for your forgiveness and I receive your forgiveness. I bring this under the power of your blood. Mike would say, bring this to the, to the cross for an exchange. And then I get them to pray 
and, and, and renounce the sin and renounce the spirits associated with that sin, whether it's adultery, whatever it may be. And then, then once they've renounced it, then we'll just get into praying and breaking off any spirit that's associated with it. By the time we get to that, oftentimes, some, sometimes the stuff's just gone anyway. It's got no more legal handle to hang on to. It's just gone. And there's, no, there's nothing, just, just shifts. And other times, though, there's, there's some direct commanding involved with maybe spirit, spirit things that are involved in that, and you just command them to go in Jesus' name. Sometimes there's reaction and manifestation. Oftentimes there isn't. It's more fun when there is. <laughs> and, and so you dealt with it. And then, and then it's a matter of a little bit of time, and, and over a bit of time, they recognize that a week's gone by now, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, a year, and I haven't had that same pressure that I used to have before. I haven't had that same issue going on like I had before. I haven't had that same level of opposition like I had before. And they know that something has shifted. Sometimes there's some thinking patterns that need to be changed, some attitudes that need to be changed, because sometimes it's a generational attitude, not necessarily a generational spirit. And so sometimes families form attitudes and they pass those attitudes down by how they speak and how they act. It's more the attitude that needs to change and be repented of. And so, so this issue of generational uh, spirits, I I'm, I'm now don't bother getting into a lot of arguments about it. I just say, okay, that's your idea, but this is my story. And I tell a story. Because one man said once, the man with a story, a man with a testimony, is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. Talking to Brent Douglas one day about it, I said, look, have you heard what happened to Kimberly? He said, no, no, tell me. He said, oh, my goodness, that's the, that's the most powerful uh, example of that uh, that I've ever heard. Could I put it in my book? I said, well, you can ask Kimberly, and, you can, you, and if she gives you permission, that would be it's up to her. And uh, is it medically verified? Well, we do have some medical verification of some things. The doctor, when Kimberly walked into the doctor after she was set free, the doctor wanted to know what had happened. (laughs) Dr. Paul O'Gorman, what's happened to you? She said, do you really, something like, do you want to know? She said, I want to know. So he told her, she told him the whole story. And he laughed and slapped his leg, apparently. (laughs) Just happy for her. Let's all stand. So that's just a few stories, a few examples of uh, things that have happened in our lives. And I have permission to tell those stories. And uh, so some of you will will have immediately identified with what Janet experienced. You've got that whole, you, you know that that whole timidity thing has actually been a part of your life. And you, you just thought it was part of your personality but it may not be part of your personality at all. It's a, an adversary to your true personality. And so if that's you, how about you just come out? If, if you identify with that, you just come on out. Maybe you identify, you, you, you've been listening to this and you've identified that, uh, I, actually I've seen, a, I've seen a, a strong pattern going on. Uh, you may, it may be appropriate to, to, to to be ministered to now, it may be appropriate that you write that down and then you make an appointment with somebody and actually do some journey and do some process with it. That may be very relevant. So...
ministry team, I think it'd be good for you to come up, really. Need plenty of catches. Okay, got a number of catches. Uh, not that we want you to fall, but sometimes people just do. So we actually call you ministry assistants. But be ready to catch. I'm going to lead you in some prayer. And I'm going to be speaking to the people now who, who identify with that whole timidity issue. That's the first one I'm, this is the first one I'm going to be doing. So, this how, I want you to pray after me. Father, I thank you that I stand here, born again, filled with your Spirit, united to Christ. But I recognize that there's been this pressure on my soul. It's masqueraded as my personality. But I've come to see that it's not my personality. It's my enemy. So in Jesus' name, I repent of having yielded to my enemy. And in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the power of your blood that sets me free from my enemy in Jesus' name. And I break my agreement with the spirit of timidity and shyness and reserve in Jesus' name. I renounce you. I break my agreement with you. I command you to go from my life. You do not belong to me. I belong to Jesus. My mouth is an agency of the gospel and of the power of your kingdom. So I stand up in myself. I resist that spirit. I command it to go. And I claim my freedom now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Repeat after me. Out you go. Spirit of timidity. Out you go now. In Jesus' name. Right now, people are going to come and lay hands on you and break the power of that thing off your life if it hasn't gone already. In Jesus' name. Right, team? Get into it.